whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. and welcome back to Ageless. So today we have Garrett McNamara on the podcast. Garrett is an American professional big wave surfer, and he is known for breaking the world record for the largest wave ever surfed at Nazare in Portugal. And we have known Garrett for years now, but this episode is pretty much us just chatting about what it feels like to surf the biggest waves in the world And we really hope that Garrett's insights on all of this can be helpful for anyone, even if you're not, you know, pushing the limits of the human body on the daily, but also just thinking about fearlessness in this way and how we can apply Garrett's outlook on life to our own. So we hope you guys love this episode. And as always, let us know your thoughts over on Instagram. We are so excited today to have Garrett McNamara, legendary big wave surfer, subject of HBO's 100 Foot Wave. And we are going to talk about fearlessness and all of the amazing things you've done in your life, which are incredible, and it just makes me crazy to think about. If you guys haven't seen Garrett surf the biggest wave in the world, 4 million views, I think, on YouTube, something like that, maybe more, definitely watch it because you won't believe your eyes. So tell us a little bit about your life growing up. It's in a great book called Hound of the Sea. Check it out, everyone. How did this happen? Where did this ability to just jump right in and do things that most human beings wouldn't even, are scared to even think about or watch, and you're just doing it? I think you have, wait. Don't you have like eight Guinness Book of World Record? Not eight record. It was just for eight years in a row. But basically, oh. every year was like I won again because everybody t- said they broke the record and they didn't. And so we, it was always like a new record, even though it was just eight years straight. Oh, I, I think that's still pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest, I'm going to have a hard time because I keep looking out at perfect waves right out of my balcony and waves are firing. All right, let's do this fast. (laughs) But I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm fine. I had, I got some waves this morning, but uh, they're still, they're still in the corner. I got to kind of turn. See, isn't that (laughs) awesome that you still are like, you still, you can't get enough. It's, I'll, I'll show you. It's right there. Look at that perfect wave. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Is it ever enough? Are there ever enough perfect waves? When I'm on the land, I'm, I'm pretty content these days. I can be totally content on the land. I don't have to surf every wave anymore. But when I get back in the water and the waves are good, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Just like I can't uh, 
I just go full speed. I want every wave that's coming at me um, still when I'm in the water. But on the land, I'm content. On the land, I'm very content and I don't have to surf every wave. But I think the, my childhood shaped how I became uh, very comfortable, was, was a big part of how I became comfortable in the ocean because it was so free and we got to just do anything we wanted. So we experienced so many different types of things that uh, most kids wouldn't get to experience without any parents, parental supervision, like skateboarding, biking, rock climbing up a giant cliff. And, and then surfing came in when we moved to Hawaii when, we're, when I was 11. My brother was nine. And I was not fearless. I was that terrified of, of big waves. The first time I surfed big, but not even big, it was like maybe a 15-foot face, like a seven, eight-foot wave was at Sunset Beach, and I paddled for the wave, took off, started coming down, and as I got halfway down, my board slid out, and I fell, and I was cartwheeling, oh and God. I was under forever, and and I I vowed to never surf a wave over 20 feet tall after that. I actually was 15 feet tall after that experience, and I hung out with these two guys, uh, Fielding Benson and Jasper Warren, and they were small wave specialists. They had surfing careers around small waves and they didn't surf waves over 10 feet. So I, in my, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be just like those guys. Yeah. That sounds like my kind of guy too. More fun, you know, I'm safer <laughs> not scary. Then I uh, was hanging around with this big Peruvian guy. His name was Gustavo Laberte and he was an older guy and he had all the boards and he, he lived at sunset beach and, when I was about 16, he literally grabbed me by the neck and said, <laughs> you're coming with me. We're going out the sunset. And I'm like, no. And he's like, don't worry. I got the perfect board for you. And I have, and I'll show you how to paddle out and I'll show you where the different bowls are and how to catch the wave. So we went out. He gave me a, a Pat Ross in sunset point 710. It was a perfect board. We got out there. And I caught every wave I wanted, and I fell in love with big waves from that moment on. That's when I was still had a lot of fear, but I was on my journey to ride big waves, a quest for bigger. I mean, that's where it started from Gustav. Wow. Gustav. Yeah, because I think it's kind of – I do think surfing in so many ways – and especially what you do is sort of a metaphor for life because there's things in our lives, in all our lives that I just don't want to do. I'm scared, you know, whether it's like send an email to somebody that, you know, I'm a little scared of or whatever. I just think, you know, what does it take to overcome that fear and to just say, OK, I'm doing this. And in your case, I mean, if I, you know, send a bad email, it's not a matter of life or death, but with you, it actually is. And I just find that so incredible. Have you ever rolled out a product, a dress or, or, or anything, a, a Band-Aid or a skate or, or some product that you were just terrified to roll it out? I mean, pretty much every season, you know, you're putting yourself out there and it's not dangerous in the way what you do is dangerous, but it's scary in that I have built a reputation and how I'm responsible for a lot of people, you know, so 
you know, it does kind of matter. It is scary and it, it does kind of matter. And I don't know why I keep doing it. And every time I do it, I say, why am I doing this? <laughs> does it get easier as you do it more or is it still the same? No. It's, it's slow. Does yours, yours gets easier? Yes. As you encounter, like, so I kept riding big waves, kept getting pounded. And, and after so many big wipeouts and so many big rides, they actually became, I, the fear disappeared. But it was, it was actually when we surfed that wave in Alaska under the glacier. Oh yeah. That was <laughs> the most dangerous thing I've ever done. And when those big, uh, the, it was the like, ice. Yeah, we're calving off of the glacier, and it's 300 feet tall, and we're 50 feet away, and if it falls flat, you're splat on the bottom. <laughs> and so that experience. I love how you say it like it's uh-huh. like it's nothing. Like, you know, when we were surfing that glacier wave in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> splat, tomato, <laughs> ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um after that experience, since the fear I encountered there was so overwhelming, it, it really helped me to be more comfortable in the ocean. And, and to be honest, after that, I didn't. It was hard for me to find fear and to uh, encounter fear in the ocean after the glacier experience. Mm. Yeah. So the way to conquer fear is just keep doing scarier and scarier things. Or just and they see you're supposed to go where you're comfortable, but you'll never get past your comfort zone if you don't go where you're not comfortable it's a challenging one because i always say okay don't go out if you're not comfortable but if you don't go out to those bigger days and you will never get comfortable so yeah the more you face it the more possible the more chance you'll get comfortable the Mm. more you face just things that scare you i heard that when you broke the world record you didn't think that you were going to go out and surf that day Yeah, it was a pretty beautiful moment because I went out there very selflessly to get my friends waves. And I honestly did not want to surf. And so I purely went out there just to get them waves. And I had a good talk with them. I said, look, we're not going out there for our sponsors or for records. We're going out there for the love of it because we love this and this is what we want to do for fun. And as long as you guys can agree that that's what you're going out there for, then I'll take you out. And um, they all agreed, and we went out, and I got Andrew Cotton a couple waves. He lost his board. I got Almania a wave. He lost his board. Oh and, then, uh, and, and at that point, we didn't know that you could go in and get the boards pretty easily, and we didn't have very good jet skis, so we, it wasn't that easy. And so we're out the back, and they're like, Garrett, you go. And I'm like, oh, no. well, luckily, I brought my board. <laughs> and yeah then they they, the magic wave just came but yeah being selfless uh, i think that that helps a lot with achieving things selfless and and passion i'm getting passion for something makes you relentless right a hundred percent you described once to me what it feels like to surf a wave that big and it was so shocking to me because obviously I only know like longboarding tiny, tiny waves. So for anyone who is in the same boat as me or who has never surfed before in their life, can you explain what the feeling of surfing a wave that big is like? 
I can uh, I'll walk you through a barrel I got at Jaws. But for for Nazare, it's just you just you let go of the rope and you're going 100 miles an hour and you're just slamming these chops and they're like moguls. It's like being on an icy mogul going as fast as you can possibly go. You're totally out of control. And when you're watching like Lucas Chambo and Kailani and all the boys and they just make it look so easy, it's far from easy and it, it's so. You're out of control going as fast as you can go, relying on these little fins, and you're looking at where the board is hitting, and then you're focusing on – you're supposed to stay in the moment, but you got to focus on getting out of there. So you're looking ahead where you want to go, where you're projecting to, and if everything goes right, then you kick out, and then you're, you're, you come out of the wave, and you see a giant wave coming, and you're like hoping that your driver's right there to pick you up before the next wave comes, and crushes you if it does crush you then you take the belly breath chest and then take as much air as you can before you go down and when you're under i always close my eyes so i'm under getting pounded totally staying totally relaxed the only thing that you might not- i wish people on our podcast could see you acting this all out right now <laughs> oh they can't they can't see it or they can no, they oh, can't. It's all, it's all uh, verbal. There's no. Yeah. Okay. No, it's okay. The sound effects are working. <laughs> okay. You're underwater <laughs> and you're doing your best to relax, but you kind of want to pull your limbs in just so they don't get ripped off. Like you pull your knees up a bit and you pull your hands in and hold on to your life jacket and just kind of go with it as, as relaxed as possible. And then when it's, if you're down for a super long time and you feel like it's not going to let you go, then you'll pull your, your inflation and then you inflate to a superhero and you're inflated. And then you start coming up really fast. And then as you come up, you're just what all you're thinking about is getting a breath and hoping that there's a, not another wave before you get a breath. So you get your, you get your lips out, like you're, you're coming up and you're, you're still underwater and you get your lips out. <sighs> And then you kind of look around and you're usually super dizzy and everything's kind of white until it all, and, and you hopefully take a big old breath again before the next one gets you. And this can happen like numerous waves if your team's not there in time. I mean, 10, 20, 30 waves. CJ had to take about 30 waves on the head before we finally found him. Oh, when he wiped out recently. Yeah, he had probably gone faster than anybody's ever gone on a surfboard because he went all the way, sucked up to the top of the wave and actually dropped in. Most people are, are mid-face, but he went, <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, you make it look easy. And if you watch your YouTube videos, you know, you make it look easy. But all you got to see is one really bad wipeout, like that guy you posted a week or so ago. Dude. Yeah. That was insane. Is he okay? He got a concussion on that wipeout. Mm. I mean, that's if that's all he got, he's pretty lucky. Yeah. Very. Yeah. So Jamie Mitchell fractured his L3, a hairline fracture. So he should recover fast, but he broke his back. Justine DuPont broke her foot. Oh, I love her in the show. Yeah, Nick Von Roop, uh, I don't think he broke anything, but ruptured, bruised his ribs. And Antonio Silva got a major concussion. And and what about Garrett McNamara? 
I was just directing the contest, so I was safe on the land and happy there. Yeah, but you had your share. Oh, you had your share. Everywhere. You're like evil Knievel. <laughs> of, the beginning of my career, mostly cuts, no broken bones. And then uh, broke my ribs a bunch of times, my feet a few times, my shoulder. Yeah, it's been uh, – there's a few injuries, definitely a few injuries. Yeah. <laughs> So is there anything that you do, like, do you have a ritual before you paddle out in really big waves, like in terms of a mental, mental ritual, maybe? You know, the, the breathing up is super important, hyper-oxygenating your body ahead of time by um, either three in, 10 out, or there's two different types of breath work that you do to oxygenate and then you can hyperventilate which will help you stay under comfortably longer you if you're a deep sea free diver or going for a record for free diving you never want to hyperventilate ahead of time because it shuts off the mechanism in your body that makes you want to go get air it, it helps you stay longer it'll help you stay until you pass out comfortably mm -hmm. But with big waves, we're staying as long as we have to. We're not going to, we're coming up as quick as we can. So you hyperventilate up ahead of time so you're comfortable while you're down there. And if you end up passing out, there was nothing you could do about it. So the ritual, getting the breath work and also doing the breath work the whole time you're out there on the big days. I like to say a little prayer. Ask permission, first and foremost, to Yamanja, the goddess of the ocean. And if I'm in Nazareth, I talk to Mama Nazareth and ask for permission. And then I ask for safe passage. And um, I say, please, you know, thank you for, thank. I usually say thank you for all the safe passage in the past. And thank you for the safe passage to come rather than asking for safe passage, knowing and seeing it. But it is nice to um, ask permission when you enter mom, Mama, uh, Mother, the ocean, Yamanja. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did you, did any of this come from your beautiful wife, Nicole? Because she is the most, she's mama unearthed, right? Yeah. And she is the most Connected. centered. Yeah. yeah. It actually came from grandmother ayahuasca. <laughs> 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 and grandfather San Pedro. Uh, we have this amazing family in Spain that we, go do uh, medicine journeys with once in a while, uh, whenever it's feeling the call and feeling need some answers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got this, the best place that I can ever imagine to go on a medicine journey is in uh, Barcelona, Spain and the mountains off the grid, this house that's in the middle of nowhere. And it's the most beautiful family and most beautiful community. And, and, uh, an amazing, I highly, if anybody's, uh, feeling lost or, or looking for answers that they have nowhere to find. And I would, I would recommend some um, ayahuasca or some mm -hmm. San Pedro, but it, you'd have to go with the right people. I recommend it with this family. Other than that, I don't know. I've had mm -hmm. some. Yeah. And what, I, wait, does that help you become this fearless being? Like, does that help you? Yeah. I listened to the skinny confidential podcast and they have, talked a lot about ayahuasca and I wonder like for me right now I don't really have any overarching questions that I would want to 
go through that experience to find out about. But I'm wondering, like, what your, I guess, biggest discovery or, like, transformation or revelation that you had? Well, the the main reason I went is because before I met Nicole, I was a Christian, and I I had God to speak to, and I had this... I don't even want to call it a false sense of security because it was a sense of security. I would speak to God, whether I'm manifesting it with my mind or it was actually God doing it. I don't know. I mean, I feel our minds are so powerful that we can manifest things. If you think them, they happen. So that's what I honestly think was going on, even though I was talking to God. Like when I'm underwater getting pounded, I would, please God help me. And I would feel comfortable. (laughs) And it was a great experience. And then I did so much research on religion. I'm just like, my, I got this beautiful friend who's the most selfless, helpful, kind, loving person I've ever met. And he's not a Christian. There's no way he's going to hell. I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. And all this, you know, there's so many things that didn't make sense and it didn't sit well with me in the religion that I just disregarded and, and just believed as I was growing up. And then you know, when you really dive into it, it just doesn't make sense. So I went to do ayahuasca to find out how do I serve and who do I serve? That was my two questions. And I actually went to, we did San Pedro first. And it's, it's the ayahuasca is the vine and San Pedro is the cactus. And a lot of people say the San Pedro doesn't do that much for them. And the ayahuasca is much more intense. And and I I have to say it is. But we did this San Pedro medicinic journey. And we started out and I'm just like, what? We we drank and I went to the bathroom and I'm sitting in the bathroom and I'm looking at the walls are starting to melt a little bit. And I'm just like, oh, this is lame. This is lame excuse to do drug kind of mushrooms. I mean, this is lame. What are we doing? And then I went back to my seat and they said, focus on the fire and breathe. So I was kind of looking around There's a bunch of strange people and they're all going through their things. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? This is lame. And that's okay. Give it a chance. So I focused on the fire and I started breathing And I'm staring at the fire and breathing and boom, I disappeared into the fire. I was gone. (laughs) I went straight to this vortex of warmth and love and light and just this most beautiful place. But it was like I was just part of this warmth and love. And it was just love, love, love. And love was all that matters and it was just so beautiful and warm and i was like how am i gonna ever go back to earth who would ever want to go back to earth i just want to stay here forever (laughs) and it was and this was like i don't know from like 12 or two o'clock till five or six in the morning when the first little break of daylight was coming and i'm gone my eyes are open and i'm not there i'm in the fire and this in this vortex of love and warmth and then uh, the guy, the, the, the drummer, they drum all night. He comes around with this uh, thing of water in this. And uh, I don't see him. He's sitting in front of me. And he said, drink, brother. And, I, and he was right there in front of me. And he hands me this stainless steel glass of water. And I grabbed the thing. And I'm just drinking it. It seemed like eternity. And it was so cold and so refreshing. And uh, I just remember what, what I learned is... 
Forget all the religions, forget everything. The only thing that matters is love. Love is all that matters. If we're being loving, kind, and helpful, and we're choosing all of our actions throughout the day are based around a loving choice, like with our heart, heartfelt choices, loving choices, the days are just so, everybody around you is so happy. Everything is so amazing. And, uh, you know, there's always challenging choices, but if you go to our, your heart first, and let your heart guide you, then it everything just unfolds so beautifully and so perfectly. And and I'm not, I have to say, I'm not a master at this. I'm not really good at it, but I know that's all that matters. And I'm always working on it. You know, what's so funny. So we always ask everyone at the end of the podcast, what do you want to be when you grow up? And lately, a lot of people have been answering, they want to be kind. They just want to be kind. And I feel like you're already there. So now you got to think of something else. Well, I'm working. I'm not a master <laughs> at it. I'm working on it. I'm working on my mantra, my mantra is loving, kind, and helpful. Amazing. Okay. Back to your daredevil. Maybe, maybe you don't call it that, but back to your, to your daring lifestyle. I got to hang out with you in Nazare, Portugal, where you discovered this huge wave that no one knew about. No one expected it would be there. And you changed the way people think about Portugal. But also I got to meet some of your friends. And I'm just wondering because I met Pedro, who holds a world record for kayaking off the tallest waterfall. And Andres, I think was his name who is a base jump, Russian base jumper. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering if, I, I want to say misery loves company, but daringness, fearlessness loves company, is if that's part of it, just hanging out with other people who have that. Adrenaline junkies. I think Adrenaline junkies. <laughs> I was trying to think, like, is that a compliment or or uh, a diss? I don't know. Yeah, but the adrenaline junkies are out there, and I'm definitely not one because I just like to ride big waves. There's, a, I, I'm afraid of horses. I won't jump out of an airplane. I don't do any other crazy things. I mean, I used to mountain bike pretty seriously, but I was calculated crazy when we did that. And... Um, I just always focused on making sure that when that magic day comes, I didn't get hurt doing some other activity, whether it was soccer or football or jumping out of a plane or swimming with a shark. Or I always just saved it, always saved it for the waves. So if I got hurt surfing, that's one thing. You know, I was doing what my sport. But if I got hurt doing some other sport and then the day of days came, I would be on suicide watch. So I just really... Um, <laughs> Don't feel like I'm an adrenaline junkie. I feel like calculated, comfortable in the ocean, and um, don't do a lot of other activities. Mm. I can't <laughs> even, I think most people listening probably can't even imagine doing something so just it seems like a superhuman. So I want to. He's a superhero. Seriously. seriously. <laughs> oh, you guys are making the superhero suit. We're making the superhero hero survival suit. It's going to be sick. What's the question? What's the question? Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, when did you first start surfing? And 
why did you decide to look for like the next biggest wave? I started surfing when I was 11. It was kind of default when we moved here to Hawaii. There, that's what you do. We Luckily, we lived close to the beach. Mm-hmm. And my mom got us a surfboard. And then that was it. We didn't have too much at that time in our life that uh, mom was on her husband that moved us to Hawaii, left her as soon as we got here. So we were on welfare and she didn't have a job. I mean, we had a roof over our head and we had basic necessities, but, you know, she couldn't afford surfboards. She couldn't afford bikes. She couldn't afford anything. Um, she made the best of the little money she had and, and got us a $15 surfboard at the at a yard sale. And then we took that out and... The nothing mattered. It was like the day would pass and you didn't even realize the day was gone because you were having so much fun out there in the ocean and not having a good bike or a good skateboard or or any of those other things that all the other kids had didn't matter. We had the, the board and we had the waves and warm water and we were, yeah, it was uh, like it was meant to be. And it started out not as a career, just because we loved it. We surfed every day, every time we could, because we loved it. And and the guys that were going to be professionals were surfing circles around us. And we weren't good enough. We weren't going to be professionals. In my mind, I wasn't going to be a professional surfer. Then we moved up to Sunset Beach and started uh, working with Randy Rarick. Right after the Peruvian took me out to sunset. That's when I got the fire lit to mm-hmm. be a big wave surfer. And I was doing some of the contests, but I never really did that good because I was so far behind everybody because I started so much later and I didn't have good equipment up until we got to sunset. And so Randy Rarick put me in the triple crown and I was getting ready to graduate high school. I was, it was uh, halfway through second quarter or second semester and I was scared. Like, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to be? Who am what? I didn't know what I was going to be. I didn't I didn't have to go do, be a carpenter or something or work at a restaurant. I was like, I was terrified. So I was thinking, okay, I think I'm going to try. And I went surfing a lot. You know, you go into the school and left to the beach and right to school. And the beach is warm and warm water, sunny. I went left a lot. So my grades were pretty bad. I got like D's and C's and F's all the first semester. <laughs> So I thought to myself, okay, if I just don't go to school, I can flunk this year <laughs> and I can stay in school one more year to figure out what I'm going to be. And I seriously contemplated flunking so I could stay in one more year. And then ran- <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? Sounds pretty smart, actually. <laughs> uh, Randy put me in the – well, you know, when I went to school, I did well. I just didn't go too much. The waves are always <laughs> – <laughs> So Randy Rick put me in the triple crown. And back then, like nowadays, if you're uh, you can be an amateur surfer and you can have a million dollar contract and and accept the million dollars. Back when I was trying to figure out what I was gonna be, you if you entered a professional contest and you ex- and you made it to the money round and accepted the money, you're automatically professional. So I made it to the money round at sunset, gladly took that check. Made it to the money round at Pipeline. Gladly took that check. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm a professional surfer. Okay. So then I got really focused to be a professional surfer. But it was just from 17 on. Okay. And then as you got a little bit older, because this is called Ageless, our podcast, you figured out 
that if you were going to continue being a pro surfer, you had to reinvent yourself. And that's when you decided to find the world's biggest waves, right? I got very lucky throughout my life. I, I opened a store when I was 35 that was depressing. And uh, luckily, I focused on winning a contest and won. And then I got to close the store. And that re-sparked my big wave career. There's been a lot of reinventions kind of naturally through the since uh, about 35 on. There's been a few. But the thing with any sport or any career even, you got to have your niche in that world, like in the surfing world. If you, you could be the surfing photographer, but you got to have your niche in there as the, the cool guy that does the shore break, like Clark Little or Jack Johnson, the surfer, but he turns into the musician. His niche was the music, but he still gets to surf. He's still in the surfing world. For me, it was the big waves. It was uh, the fearlessness. And then it, it just became, Nazare became my new niche by discovering this giant wave that became my identity, being part of one with Nazare. And that was the most special, most rewarding. Uh, every, everything fell in. All my dreams finally came true. All my goals were finally accomplished after Nazare. But it's, it's all about having your niche. It's about never giving up, eating really well, drinking tons of water. Water is life. And water is like your oil. Water is oil to the car, water to us. And greens, a lot of greens. I mean, I, I'm vegan at times, I'm, I'm raw at times, and I'm vegetarian at times. And then there's some times when, when in Rome, I'm in Rome trying to uh, work on being super healthy, drinking tons of water, eating lots of greens, and fully organic. And I'm still eating a little meat, but I'm, I'm leaning towards not eating any meat. That what we put in is what we get out. You want to stay in the game? You know, ageless is the, it's called ageless. Yeah. yeah. You want to stay in the game? Think about putting in super in here, in here, and in here. What we consume, we become. Mouth, ears, eyes, guys. <laughs> yeah. Mouth, ears, and eyes. What you watch, what you hear, and what you eat is going to enable you to stay in the game till you're 90 or not. <laughs> okay, I want to see you surfing at 90. Mm -hmm. Me too. We'll be, at the, we, we'll be at the wave pool, all of us together. Yeah. <laughs> yes. American dream, folks. American dream. How was, your wave, how was the wave pool experience with all the girls? Oh, my God. It was so fun. I, I'm, I'm going to become a regular there. I loved it. I loved it. The American, the American they, dream. With they the tweaked it. It's a little bit bigger. You know, I was calling it the 100-inch wave, but it's a little bit bigger now, which is fun. Mm -hmm. A little more intense? A little bit, not a lot. But, you know, sometimes it's harder to surf a small wave than it is like a little uh, bit bigger mm, one. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I try to tell myself. Wait, so can you give us a little sneak preview of what season two, what's going to happen? in season two of the 100-foot wave? So uh, we filmed all last year, which was supposed to be season two. They're right now editing, and I honestly have no idea what they have on the on the floor right now, what they're what they're working through. They said they're going to send it to us in a, 
in a bit, but they haven't sent anything yet. I keep sharing with them that I think um, ending it with Nicole about to give birth or with with CJ about to come down that giant wave (laughs) or both. And then okay, wait for season three. Yeah, cliffhangers Uh, are always good. (laughs) There was a lot of COVID situations last year. Like we couldn't go out because of all these different things related to COVID that could be in the in the show like the the contest not happening the biggest swell of the year we couldn't go out and i was having challenges with my my body my physical my back and my mind and you know i i don't know i can't wait to see the first pass to actually know what's possibly going to be in there but uh this year what happened this year all the challenges we went through were hopefully um we're going to share a lot of that. Uh, I feel like half of it will be in season two and half of it will be in season three. Uh, there was just so many crazy challenges that a lot of people would have lost it. And we held together and we just visualized and did our best. The main thing that I feel in life right now is to love all the situations. Like Say you've had this, your best surfboard that you love more than any other board, and you've had so many good rides on it, and you take it out to American Dream, and bah, it breaks in half, and you could be just so pissed off, and so, and that would only make you feel terrible. It's like not good for you when you have those types of feelings. It's just scientifically not good for you. Or you can choose to go, oh wow, that board it was so amazing. It got me so many good rides. I love that board, and I can't wait for the next one. So, so it's a way of being, it's a way of choosing you. I mean, I broke my foot and I chose to love that whole experience. I was, I think that was one of the only injuries that I really chose to love the whole experience and enjoy it. I was, when we had COVID, that's going to be in, we had COVID this year and it was crazy. It was a heavy, heavy experience in the first three days. I'm like, okay, every time I started feeling depressed or, or feeling overwhelmed, I'd go, okay, just love it. Enjoy it. And now, oh, I feel so good. And then <laughs> I did that for three days, pretty successful. And then it was just like every day was the same day, another day of the same. And then I was like so hard to love it. It was really hard to love it. And I, I would think about it and love it, even though I was so, whew, so down. You know what Pedro, the world record holder, told me when I was in Nazare. I learned a really important lesson. He told me, don't bite the universe. And that is like, has become my motto for mm-hmm. so many things. I love that. When life gives you something that you're not expecting or you, maybe you don't like, mm-hmm. just tell yourself, don't bite the universe and then power through. Mm-hmm. Learn. I think Learn. for me, yeah. like I am, I'm not to the point yet where I could love all of the experiences in my life that are hard, but I think I'm at the point of acceptance. And I think that's kind of like the first step to getting to the loving it. The, the, The book that really helped me with acceptance and helped me with my life as a whole, Deepak Chopra, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. It's it's a beautiful, um, if you really digest it as you read it, take your time and understand 
where he's coming from. It's very, very easy read, a very quick read, but a lot of amazing information to implement into daily life. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, we'll have to read. Okay, well, we want to ask you what you want to be when you grow up, because I feel like you have just achieved like so much more than anyone could ever imagine doing themselves. And it's almost like what's what's next? But I have to ask what's next. We ask everyone, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Beryl McNamara. Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Is Beryl McNamara? Beryl? Beryl is Garrett and Nicole's son who's nine? Seven, seven, seven. seven. What? He's only seven? This kid has no idea. This kid just lives the best life ever. Oh, my God. And he's shredding already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because if your name is Beryl McNamara, forget it. Like, <laughs> he doesn't stand a chance of becoming anything but a surfer. amazing surfer. Yeah, imagine so. if he was like an insurance broker <laughs> with that name. <laughs> but you know what? We He's really passionate about football soccer soccer is mm-hmm. like his and he's taking tennis lessons right now he's like a freak he's a natural at everything and that's not i'm not just a biased father saying it like he's like no i've seen like, it with i hope it's not a curse because sometimes when things come too easy for people they just move on and move on and never really settle into something so but he's just he's really got the surfing bug now so i'm hopeful that he keeps surfing it's a little it's a, it's a challenging one for me because I don't know if I want him to be riding these giant waves, but if he's just a barrel hunter and he's going surfing barrels all over the world, that I, that would be the dream. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot in that because obviously part of me wants to be my mom when I grow up. And in other ways, you're like, you have to do your own thing. Like, don't, don't just follow exactly what I did. And... I think that there's a lot of power in that because obviously he looks up to you so much, but like he's going to, to your point, have to find his own niche if he pursues surfing as a career. Like he will find his own niche in that world. The niche is it. That's longevity. That mm-hmm. one is longevity, whether you're the best or not, as long as you have your niche. Mm-hmm. In sports, and I think in, in, in sports – that is definitely like a big thing, but it's really in any career that kind of has a, um, I guess I would say like a timestamp on it. And sports is something, is a career that is like that, like at a certain age. I mean, you're going to do it forever, Unless but most people, McNamara. you know, at a certain age, they will retire. And I think that's kind of, I mean, it's the same with modeling. It's the same with social media, even unless you find that thing, then you're kind of just going to age out of it, even if you're successful in the beginning. So that's a huge, that's a huge takeaway from this. Very short lived. Mm-hmm. The only one of the, one of the reasons I'll be able to keep going is because of that suit that we're designing together. <laughs> <laughs> that will make me comfortable. See, since I broke my shoulder, I've been uh, a little second guessing it all and thinking of getting hurt again. It was just so, un- the pain was there for so long. And 
Yeah, I don't know if anybody really enjoys pain. Do you know anybody that enjoys pain? No, I'm, I mean, there, I'm sure there are some people. <laughs> I know women are a little better at handling managing it, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I love that you said I was all worried about what it was going to the suit was going to look like. And you're like, it's and then I was nervous, you know, and you were like, it's fine. Don't worry. It's just a matter of life or death. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like everything you do. (laughs) Well, I feel like we have to have you back on because we didn't get to talk about almost killing Anderson Cooper on the back of the jet ski. Mm-hmm. What else? A million other things that we could we... talk about Anderson. That was amazing. So Anderson and I were talking about fear and I asked him, are you afraid when you get in all these crazy situations that are life or death? I mean, he said the last time I was in a life or death one was a, a mob in India was literally wanted to rip him apart and they were chasing him down the road. He was, they say that if he got, they got a hold of him, he would have been killed. I'm uh, not sure why. But um, he said that after so many crazy experiences like that and, you know, going into a bomb situation or going into all these crazy situations where he could die, he now is sensitized and he doesn't have fear in mostly all the situations he faces these days. And he went on the back of the jet ski and he's like, we're driving out. And he's like, let's go through the rocks. And I'm like, no, no, we don't go through there when it's this size. I mean, if it's flat, you can. But there was wave. He wanted to go through the rocks. And he, he's all, what are you, chicken? He tells me, what are you, chicken? Well, I may be so, desensitized now after I went through the rocks on the back of your jet ski. <laughs> so so then we go in to go through the rocks, and it, there was a wave, so I did a turnaround right inside that little corner, and he falls off. So I <laughs> grab, I turn, whoop, grab him, throw him back on. And then go back out. And then we ride this giant wave. I mean, it was a, it was really stormy and there was some rain. We're coming down. And there's this crazy rain, double rainbow right over us as we're coming down this wave. And funny thing, I'm yelling, rainbow, rainbow. <laughs> we're coming down. And, he just, and he's got the GoPro out. And he's holding on, cool, cool as a cucumber, no fear. And if he had fallen off, it would have been, he probably would have passed out from getting pounded. We had yeah. to, we would have to, I would have to uh, give him a little mouth to mouth, bring him back. You know, he'd be all right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for your next. That, that well, that was in the hundred foot wave. Mm-hmm. It was, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah. Next time I have to come because last time I missed the trip, but. I would love to experience that. It sounded so, so, so cool. Yeah. It's only yeah. six hours from New York. So, yeah, you have to. Yeah. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right, Garrett, we cannot wait to see what comes next. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> I'm so excited. And I want to come to Nazareth next time you guys go. All right. Thank well, you. I can't wait. We'll do, a, we'll do another Cynthia Raleigh thing over there or, or just come and have fun either way is fine <laughs> yeah okay thank you so so much all right thank you all right so i'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today as always you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures then you can follow us on instagram at cynthia rowley and at kit keenan thanks for listening